Hey everyone! Did you know Neurodiverging now offers a free support group for autistic parents, monthly free live classes on neurodivergence-related topics, and a coaching corner twice a month on Instagram? Learn more and sign up for all of our learning opportunities at neurodiverging.com slash upcoming events. Every day, scientists are learning more and more about how human brains work and how many of us don't fit into the old-fashioned understanding of how brains should work. But a lot of ideas about parenting and familial relationships still need to catch up to the reality of human variation. Neurological differences are natural, profoundly valuable parts of being in a community together and in being part of a family. Whoever you are, wherever you are in your journey, I am here to explore with you. We are all in this together. Welcome to Neurodiverging. Welcome back to the Neurodiverging Podcast. I'm so happy you're here today. My name is Danielle Sullivan and I'm your host. Today I am so pleased to continue our couple of months of education and learning development with Lindsay Wander. Lindsay is the owner of Worldwise Tutoring. Her mission is to help students of all abilities not only improve their grades and scores, but also to learn the skills to become confident and independent lifelong learners and to grow into competent and conscious leaders. And that is what we are going to be talking about today. She seeks to empower our youth with the tools to succeed in school, work, and life so that they are in the powerful position to be agents of change in their own lives and in the lives of those around them. Lindsay and I had a great time discussing how, as parents, we can sculpt our students' learning, what our students' learning goals should be, and what are some skills that students can be missing in traditional school that we as parents can support and create more chances to explore for them so that when they uh, become more independent, as they grow, as they learn, sometimes as they move away, um, that they have the skills they need to participate in social lives as adults. So it's a really great conversation and I hope you'll enjoy it. If you have not had the chance yet and you would like to, please go check us out on Patreon. I know I say it every time, but we're at patreon.com slash neurodiverging. You get special access to the patrons only after show, many other perks. You can pledge at a lot of different tiers to get different perks depending on what your budget and your interest is, but every dollar helps support the show. So please go check us out on patreon.com slash neurodiverging. As always, show notes and all other information discussed in the show are at neurodiverging.com. So please go check that out. And without further ado, here's Lindsay. Welcome, Lindsay. Thanks for being here on Neurodiverging with me today. Thank you for having me. It's so great to have you. So I know you're the founder and the CEO of Worldwise Tutoring, and you provide online services worldwide for students of all ages and all abilities and all subjects, which I just love that tagline. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about your motivation for becoming a tutor originally? Yeah, you know, before I was a tutor, I was a classroom teacher. And as people listening, whether you're a parent or an educator yourself know, our school system is very flawed. And yes. I was constantly seeing children slip through the cracks. 
because as I phrase it, the traditional system just wasn't working for them. And, you know, as a teacher, there's a lot of politics in the school system and my hands were often tied on what I could do. And so I found myself tutoring on the side, honestly, mainly to supplement my income because we know teachers don't make a ton of money. Um, And I found that what I was able to do as a tutor was so much more than what I was able to do as a classroom teacher. And so um, I eventually left the teaching profession in terms of the classroom and decided to tutor full time and within a year completely outgrew myself and had to start recruiting and training tutors in my methodologies. And really the point of it is, is to just make everything very personalized. We don't just look at the idea of education as dumping information into a student's brain. We really look at their heart and their, and their mind and their soul. And we try to really shape everything to them personally. And so that's why it really has developed to all ages, all abilities, all subjects. <laughs> it's not just something <laughs> specific. I think we've talked a lot um, in prior episodes of the podcast about from the perspective of people within the school system and with parents about how much, uh, especially um, autistic and ADHD students can struggle in a traditional uh, American kind of public school atmosphere. So I just think it makes so much sense to get them more support that's more personalized and more directed to their specific needs. So exactly. And it's not yeah. that they're not capable. It's it's the way that our system is set up is not formed in a way for their success. And it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that they're not intelligent or they won't contribute to society. You know, in fact, in in many cases, they are their IQ is off the charts, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of finding something that works for their learning style. And that is hard in a classroom of 30, 40 kids. And it's oh, yes. much easier when you have them in a one-on-one type setting. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of students also just struggle with the numbers of other kids in the classroom and the stimulus. Yeah. And yeah. So True. as Parents, what do you think that our main learning goals should, should be for our students? That's because I know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, coming from the traditional school system and having seen that kind of not work for a lot of kids, what do you think parents should be focusing on? I say that to parents all the time. You know, is it this math formula that's really important for your kid to know? You know, is it really the capitals of every state? Is that really, mm-hmm. really that important for your kid to know? Or is it about, you know, their ability to creatively problem solve or to be innovative or to be a leader, um, to plan, to prioritize, to manage tasks, and even to, you know, self-evaluate their learning and their successes and their failures. Um, These are the skills that are really important when it comes to, you know, how will they be able to succeed beyond the classroom And the classroom setting is a great place. And, you know, education in general is a great place to learn those skills. But we have to be very directed with the goal that these are the skills we want our children to learn. I think we just get lost in Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to teach creative problem solving by giving them a math problem. And then for the years, it just becomes all about the math problem. And we Mm -hmm. lost sight of, well, what was the real purpose of that math problem here? So we, we just have to keep reminding ourselves, you know, what do I want for my child? What are the most important things for them to know and do to get there? And the other things are not important and, and, and let that go. I know as a classroom teacher, something I would humble myself on was, is it really that important for them to memorize the steps of mitosis? <laughs> 
you know, is that yes. important or is it important that they had fun learning, that they mm-hmm. enjoyed the process of discovery and understanding the world around them? That was more important to me. And so I just had to keep that in the forefront of my mind as, you know, my, my value system and shape my methodology of teaching around that. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like part of what you're saying, at least, is that building the skills is much more important than building the kind of the data, right? Like remembering the steps of mitosis or the state capitals is not as important for adults in this world as learning the skills of kind of the executive functioning skills and and organizing skills. And so what are some of the skills that you think students are missing the most in the classroom? Like maybe from the groups that you tutor, are there kind of recurring issues that you see that parents can be focusing on? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it just has to do with their brain development. You know, we're Mm -hmm. expecting them to do certain tasks that their brains are often not fully developed to do yet. And it doesn't mean they can't do the tasks. It just means that we need to set up systems for them to assist in the development of their brain to be able to do those tasks. And that's exactly what executive functioning is all about. So definitely I see a lot of um, concerns with, with students having trouble with the planning and prioritizing. So, you know, they often hear, oh, I have a math assignment, but they don't often calculate in their head or estimate how long will that math assignment take and mm-hmm. how much time do I have to complete it? And when should I get it started? And when will it be completed by so that I can do this next thing that I have to do at this time? So I almost explain it like a spatial awareness of time. You know, where do certain things fit in? And as adults, we tend to do that. Okay, you know, before I hopped on with you, I had 10 minutes. What can I get done in 10 minutes? It's my, my brain yes. is smiling through. <laughs> and, you know, with students and, and, and youth in general, they often just don't have the brain development to do that. But if we show them that strategy, you know, and kind of set up systems for them, they will start to naturally do that. I also find that a lot of youth, mainly because they're younger, don't tend to advocate for themselves very often. And I do think that's a really essential skill that they have to know how to respectfully stand up for themselves and voice their opinion and or say, I'm struggling here, you know, and Mm -hmm. be able to pinpoint where the here is. Um, And that's definitely a a lifelong skill to be able to say this is where I'm at and what I think and you know what I need and and make sure that they're getting that. I think that piece about advocacy is so important and it strikes me because I work with so many adults who are still struggling to figure out not only how to articulate what they want but what they even want or what kind of supports they might need to be doing better. There's so many skills built into just doing that one thing, right? In terms of assessing your needs and then creatively problem solving your needs and then communicating those. So are there practical ways that we can be helping our our kids and our students um, kind of build these skills? I know it's a very general question. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great one. So um, I'll give you kind of an educator or school-based suggestion and then some Mm -hmm. other life ones as well. So I know with us, we when we give students independent work, we also give them an answer key. And we ask them to, at the end of completing their work, to check their work. And there's still Mm -hmm. ways to make sure they're doing their work. They can show their work, you know, or have to explain to you their thought process. So it's not that they're just going to write down all the answers and, and find a shortcut. They will try to do it, especially if you 
make sure they understand the why and, and the bigger picture behind what you're doing. And you make sure the work is relevant to what you're doing and it's not just busy work. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's that back end. But then when we ask them to check their work, we tell them when you get something incorrect, I would like you to try to figure out why. Why was your answer incorrect? And what that tells them is I believe that you can figure this out on your own, that you don't Mm -hmm. always need me. And oftentimes they do. They figure out what they did wrong. And the lesson there is so much more powerful because they understand their thought process getting there. So now in kind of wondering and thinking through why they got it wrong, they can now understand what got them to the wrong place, they're less likely to do that error again than if I I was just to tell them the reason for it. But then I tell them, you know, if there's ones that you don't understand, no problem. Those are the ones you bring to me. And that just means I have to reteach it to you in a different way. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. And so they come, you know, without feeling bad about it, because they say, okay, there's 10, I got wrong, five of them, I figured out, yay, it's a celebration. And these other five I'm stuck on, and here is where I'm stuck. And this is really good because they're starting to evaluate their successes, they're evaluating their struggles, and they're advocating and feeling comfortable asking for help, which are all really valuable skills. In the household, ways that you can do that is simply say to them maybe on a Friday night, hey, what's something that was really great in the house this week and what's something that could be improved on? And let them have a voice. And when they suggest something that can be improved on, talk to them and say, okay, what do you think would be a way to improve that? And then take their suggestions to heart because what that shows them is that their voice has power and Mm -hmm. that they are worth listening to. And they can actually invoke change by simply having a conversation and standing up for something. So little things like that can be done in the house as well. And I think it really deepens the bond with, with the family having conversations like that rather than I'm the adult and this is how it is. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, no, you, you are also a part of this family and you have a say as well. And I'm going to try as best as I can to give you a voice and let you take action in what's happening in this household. I think that collaborative piece is so important, especially with kids with different learning needs that approaching parenting the family style as a process of collaboration, where we're all doing this together and we are all responsible for the outcome is such an important piece of learning for kids. Agreed. I I agree. And I really do think it deepens that family bond as a result, which is even more powerful because then they know they can come to you and talk to you, you know, when other things arise that you're going to hear them. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And are there other underlying life skills that parents should be keeping an eye on as their kids are developing that, you know, especially ones that you specifically work on? I know that uh, you focus a lot on life skills with students. Definitely. Um, I really think with this rising generation, we have to really watch their emotional state. They are Mm -hmm. big feelers. They are very aware of what's going on in the world around them and they feel it. And, and to, to put what we learned in our generation of bury your feelings on them is not going to work. Oh my goodness. No, it's not going to work. They're too anxious if we do that. And so we have to really help them to um, self-monitor their emotions not regulate them, not control them, but monitor them. So help them, you know, in the teaching world, we call it name it, claim it and aim it. So help Mm -hmm. them to name their feelings, take ownership of that feeling. This is how I'm feeling. 
and then find a way to direct it. And whether that's doing something that helps them to relieve that stress so that they can then focus on the problem at hand or talking about it or, you know, some other action. There's so many, and this is where the conversation comes in of, you know, what are some things that we can proactively brainstorm that when you're feeling this way, you can do in that moment. And if it doesn't work, we'll try something different and we're gonna find something that works for you. But being able to regulate their emotions and um, also build what I would call coping mechanisms and resiliency are really mm. vital skills. And I, again, I think schooling is a great way for them to learn these things that, that's low risk, you know, for them to learn mm -hmm. the feeling of failure and to have a discussion about what went wrong. Let's make sure these systems are in place so that that doesn't go wrong again. And success, what worked? Let's make sure those are in place for the next time. And, you know, it doesn't mean you're dumb and it doesn't mean you're bad at this. You know, struggle is inherent in growth. There's a quote I often tell my students that you can't go to the gym and build muscle without resistance. You have to mm -hmm. have weight. And so this is how we grow. This is how we build is by these challenges. And I even share some of my own challenges and they're like, what? You know, you're this a superhero adult that knows everything. Nah, -uh. I had my own struggles and I had to figure it out. And this is part of life. And, you know, you have to do this to get where you are. And I think that a lot of adults around my age really lack these coping mechanisms and they don't have mm -hmm. a lot of resiliency and, that really causes a lot of extra stress and just overall angst in their life when they do really hit some serious things. It's not just getting a F on a project, you know, it's something life altering that happens to them. And so I'd rather they build these skills as children um, in a low risk situation so that they then mm -hmm. have a toolbox to pull from when they do get older and encounter some real serious, you know, potential issues. Yeah. I know a lot of the audience listening right now are parents of autistic and ADHD kids and other kids with different neurotypes. And a lot of us struggle because um, our kids are facing some significant challenges just by virtue of living as a person with a different neurotype in a neurotypical world. Um, and I know many of us want to build resiliency and want to allow our child chances to grow, but it's very, it can be very hard to find that balance between, um, offering challenges and, uh, feeling like we're over stressing our child or, or ex exposing them, especially our more like rigid thinkers, <laughs> exposing them to too much potential change. So I guess I just was wondering if you have any ideas for how to have any encouragement or any suggestions for parents who are struggling with finding that balance or struggling to um, find it within themselves to offer more challenges for their kiddos and to get used to seeing your child fail in order to build, right. you know, like you said, low risk failure in order to build resilience in, in the future? Well, the first thing I would say is there is definitely a difference between suffering and struggle. Mm -hmm. If your child is struggling, that's okay, they're not suffering, <laughs> you know, yeah, we have yeah. to remind ourselves. And as an educator, it's hard when I see a child struggling, I just want to jump in and do it for them, you know, because I, mm -hmm. I you know, the, I see the tears in their eyes and their chin trembling and, you know, or whatever reaction they might have. And I just want to fix it for them. But what I do instead is I stay with them in a very supportive way. And I, sometimes mm -hmm. I'm just quiet you know, and I'm just there and I, and I'm letting them know by my sheer presence that I'm here and I support you. 
I'm not leaving your side and I'm going to stay here with you until you work through this, until you figure it out. Um, Mm -hmm. In some cases, I might give some advice, you know, if they're open to it, sometimes that could be triggering and it could just kind of get them spiraling, you know, really kind of reading what they need. You might even just want to ask them, what do you need from me right now? How can Mm -hmm. I help you in this? Um, Rather than just jumping in and doing it for them, you know, because oftentimes they want to do this on their own. They want to figure this out. And sometimes us jumping in, you know, frustrates them even more. So I would just maybe kind of watch our own emotions and, and, and take a step back, but not remove ourselves from the situation, still be there in a very Mm -hmm. calm, supportive way so that they know that they, they have you there when they need you, but you're not just going to jump in and take away, you know, that challenge for them unless Mm -hmm. they really are asking for your assistance. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, it can be hard to figure out, like, you don't want to take away their chance to prove to themselves they can do the hard thing. Mm -hmm. But also, yeah, it can be hard to know what is what is too challenging. So putting that giving that back to the child to decide, seems like very good advice. (laughs) And they, they may surprise you. I mean, they may say to you, I've had students say to me, no, no, don't tell me. I want to figure this out. I want to do, you know, um, and that's great. You know, I'm, I'm all, so giving them that voice, I I think will will often be surprised. They, they challenge themselves often more than we challenge Mm -hmm. them. Again, I, we work with students of all abilities. And so we do have students who have learning difficulties and Mm -hmm. I am a big advocate for integration and for, not separating students based off of what appears to be their abilities. Mm -hmm. I do think that, again, children will surprise us. And this rising generation is so heart centered that as long as us with, you know, neurotypical children are having conversations with our kids and not just saying, Shh, don't ask questions or, Shh, you know, don't, don't ask what, you know, mm-hmm. what's going on, but helping them know how to ask the question in a way that isn't hurtful um, and how to welcome someone who may be acting in a way that they're not used to. Um, that's our responsibility with neurotypical children. And then I think that if we have, you know, eight neuro atypical children, you know, it is very valuable to both sides to allow them an opportunity to interact with each other. Mm -hmm. I I work very closely with many special education teachers and the stories they've told me about, you know, not just bringing them in for one class and, you know, but actual deep integration of you know, children of different abilities, it has been powerful what has resulted for both sides. Mm -hmm. And um, that's just led me, you know, to be a a very big advocate for making those situations available and seeing, you know, if it if it's a potential for growth. I completely agree with you. I think that um, if, if we're, as a group aiming for inclusivity and diversity mm-hmm. um, that that doesn't happen unless you bring folks <laughs> right, together and, exactly. and kids are just the same. Um, and I also think that separating neurodiverse, neurodivergent and neurotypical learners or people in general 
creates this, it feeds into stereotypes and misunderstandings and just not understanding. Um, It just said not understanding twice, but just (laughs) lack of knowledge across groups of what to, you know, and that's a huge problem, a huge problem. And yeah, so I'm, you said it much better than I did, but (laughs) I completely agree. It's really important for both sides. And I appreciate as an autistic person hearing um, somebody say that neurotypicals should do some of the work too, because I feel like a lot of times it's put on um, autistic people to um, kind of reach across the divide and explain ourselves and educate. Um, And uh, it feels like something that should be in coming from both sides of the gap that neurotypical folks and uh, neurodivergent folks should both be trying to learn about each other. So thank you for that. (laughs) Children are learning from their adults. And Mm -hmm. if we silence them when they ask a question or say, oh, oh, you can't talk about that, you know, then they start to think something's wrong and that this Mm -hmm. is something that isn't talked about. And I think again, you know, children will surprise us. They're, they, it's this rising generation, you know, they're so heart centered. They really are very aware of what's going on. And if we are continuing to keep that conversation open and help them understand the, I wouldn't say proper way, but you know, there is sometimes it's just the way things are phrased or the way, mm-hmm. you know, they might look at someone, you know, just helping them understand it's okay to ask a question. It's okay to look at someone, you know, but yeah. don't treat them like <laughs> some oddity, you know, that we don't mm-hmm. talk about. Um, I think we'll be really, you know, impressed by how, how they behave and how friendships and, you know, relationships are deepened as a result. Yeah. It's been really, um, eye-opening and just encouraging as a parent to see the way that my neurodivergent kids have been welcomed into groups of neurotypical kids. And a lot of that is just because those specific families had parents who um, explained things, who, you know, had the conversation and who didn't shy away from a difficult topic um, of, you know, why behavior looks different or why movement or, or speech is different for some of these kids. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just so appreciated. (laughs) So yeah, it makes a huge difference to our lives. So yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, Can you uh, tell us a little bit more about where we can find information about worldwide tutoring and you just started a nonprofit too, right? I did. Yeah. You should tell us about that. I'd love to. So worldwide tutoring, you can find us just worldwide tutoring.com. That's where you'll also see um, a blog there for educators and parents where I have a lot of advice and resources, as well as a student handbook for students, which has, again, a lot of resources and strategies for them to utilize. And all of that's free. Um, You'll also learn about our services and our approach, again, by going to the website. Plus, you'll have links to our social media if you want to follow because I'm getting gems every single day. And then for the nonprofit, my, my purpose for the nonprofit was to address the widening achievement gap due to the school closures. And so mm-hmm. we are providing our same high quality tutoring services, but to underserved K through 12 students. In other words, students who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford it, but are, again, are completely capable. And so mm-hmm. we are 
offering those services to students um, for certain terms throughout the year. We are working with students only in Illinois and Texas for the nonprofit just because it's new and we're still building. Mm -hmm. um, but you can go to educateradiateelevate.org. That's a lot. So you can also just type in eretutoring.org and you'll get to the same place. And you'll see, you know, all the ways that you can get involved. I've created various internships and volunteer opportunities, even adults. We have a lot of professional volunteers who are helping us with various back end aspects of the nonprofit. So if you are interested in helping us to be able to help others, um, please do check that out. That's so fantastic. Thank you. I'm glad adults can get involved too. And for folks listening, all those links are going to be in the show notes. So please go click on that so you can go visit Lindsay's site and learn more about all this great stuff we talked about today. Thank you so much for joining us on Neurodiverging today. If you haven't yet, please go check out show notes, links, and all other information on neurodiverging.com. And please consider donating to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash neurodiverging. You can pledge a dollar, five dollars, or ten dollars a month to fund the Neurodiverging podcast and the website and to receive special access to the patrons only after show and many other perks. Also, please consider subscribing wherever you are listening on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, elsewhere. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple. It really helps us out. Thank you so much for being here today. And please remember, we are all in this together.